Welcome to Two Peed Kairos with Christian Flutter and Mike Marinas. Hello and welcome. I, I feel like saying welcome back to Two Peed Kairos. It's been a minute, Christian. It's been a hot minute. Oh, hot minute. You know, that's that's the danger of hot minutes. You know, you yep. blink in a hot minute and three months disappears. You know, absolutely incredible. You, when you look back at that WhatsApp message and you're like, yeah, we do the show. Yeah, okay, we'll do. And then you sort of like, you look back and then you say, oh my goodness, when did I send that? Oh, so I think I think I'm between going, we, we, we decided to give you a break and now we're back for season two or just maybe no one's going to notice. Let's go with no one's going to notice, right? Love Nobody it. will notice. It's just been it's just been a blink. Just yeah. a blink. So, I mean, Mike, how have you been, back- my friend? <laughs> that was that was a there you go. I think that's the first time we've spoken over each other like that. I'm going to go because you're busy laughing. Mike, how yeah. have you been, mate? You've been keeping well. I've been good, thanks. I've been good. I've been making my way through this English winter. I'm used to them now. Um, so now I'm used to scraping the ice off my car and I'm, I'm what I'm looking forward to. And I was talking to a mom about this the other day. I want the first day where I walk out of the house without a Jersey or a jumper or a jacket. I just want to walk out of the house with just a shirt. Then I'll know. Oh, Mike, you need to, I've, I've recently just moved up to Brisbane and, uh, I need a very good reason to put a shirt on at the moment because it is sweltering. It's like 35 degrees and at least 4,000% humidity at the moment. It's just like, insane. Like the yin and yang podcast. I love it. <laughs> so as you can oh. see, we come from two very different perspectives. <laughs> one of completely frozen and one of uh, and, and one of overheating. Yes, yeah, so between the two of us, we'll come to a, a beautiful middle ground of it just being just right. <laughs> We're going to hit the Goldilocks right. zone today, I think. Goldilocks zone, I love it. Mike, yeah. Mike, we're going to be talking about something very serious today. We're going to mm. kick off this new season with birth trauma. Indeed, birth trauma. Such a, su- su- such a, such a wide scoping uh, topic. Simply because I think the first thing, if you're a lay person and you hear about birth trauma, what you're thinking about are the big, nasty uglies. So you're thinking about um, like uh, an, ox- an, an, oxid- an oxygen to the brain issue. You're thinking about a bone fracture. You're yeah. thinking about, you know, um, and, and even I think to a professional level, sometimes that's what gets thought of. A lot of the time, people don't think about micro traumas um yeah and, the subtle and, things and weirdly that's what as chiropractors we see on a day-to-day basis with most of our other patients is micro <laughs> yeah you're exactly right you know and, well, and when it's birth they kind of say well it's perfect or it's a major trauma and there's no gray in between this is actually something we brought up in a recent article we had published uh, it's talking about we were talking about shoulder dystocia mm-hmm. and the need to recognize that that gray zone you know, let's let's think about, okay, you're playing sport, you roll over on your ankle, okay? We do a great big grade three lateral sprain and you're in crutches for three months, okay? Yeah. Or you don't roll your ankle and you're still fine. Is that is that the crux of it? Is it really that black and white? No, mm-hmm. no, you've got grade ones, you've got grade twos, you've got those little ooh jeepers mm-hmm. where you kind of half went over it. And it's it's a little bit tender, but it's still manageable. You can still run around it without too many issues. 
This yeah. is something that we need to understand. So chiropractors, we're very good at being able to pick up on subtle variations. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So subtle variations, and that's where birth trauma falls into this one. You know what we talk about the, like you say, the real extremes that seem to occur within the birth traumas. Mm. But, you know, as chiropractors, we're working in that beautiful little gray zone in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so true, you know, and as you were talking, I was picturing uh, <clears throat> when I, I, I went for a run a little while ago and I did a little bit of a dive on my ankle and I thought, Oh, hang on, hang on. Am I okay? Am I okay? And then I kind of kept running but it changed so many things about that run. It changed my faith in in that part of my anatomy for that run. So my gait changed. <clears throat> it mm. changed the length of the run that I took. It changed the fact that I didn't go out for a run the next day. I didn't sprain it. <clears throat> and, and it was fine. However, all of those little fall-offs from there had all of these little effects. And I think that, again, is the nuance of understanding that even if it's not massive, it can still change your trajectory. And in children that have just been born, it's all about trajectory. That's right. Now, here's the other fun part in regards to that is you've talked about how you were able to change things based on the injury that occurred. Yeah. What does a baby do? Yeah. What does a baby do? <laughs> Whatever it can. And and not much. <laughs> Not much. I find. I find. I don't know about yourself. Do you find yeah. that with um, with with babies who have come through with birth trauma, they tend they tend to be, it's it's either they go down a, like a sleepy path where they become very yes. hypotonic. <laughs> You've got the floppy child. You know they've got uh, that. I find. Do you know what? So those those ones they don't scare me as much as they raise my alertness level. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the terrorist thing. You know, don't be be alert, not alarmed. Yeah. You know, you're starting to pay attention to what's going on here. Yeah. And then you've got the extreme, the other side of that, that coin is where they've become, they've become very sensitized. Yeah. They, they become more irritable and you get that more colicky presentation, short of a better word, that unsettled it, behavior kind of stuff coming through. It's such a good way of explaining it because, and I've just been doing a pain module now and they don't do pain in the way that we do it because pain is an understanding. They do nociception. They don't do pain. Correct. And Correct. Do, That's a beautiful. Yeah, nociception now starts to create other things. So it starts to create feeding issues. It starts to create sleeping issues. It starts to create all of these functional issues of the child because that's how they interpret and that's their outcome. That's their output. I love it. That's one of my one of my favorite papers was a 2015 FMRI study looking at the neural overlap in oh, pain gosh, development that. centers. Doxen, there you go. We both love it. <laughs> it's such a it's such a good go-to. You know, you get the you get the person who says, Oh, babies don't feel pain. You go, <clears throat> hold my, hold my, hold my coffee for me. Just yeah. uh, just let yeah. me just print out an article yeah. for you. Hold my L5. Let me show you something. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's it. That's it. Wonderful, wonderful study. I was literally just adding it to a presentation to uh, yesterday. Brilliant study. Oh, uh, good addition. Good addition. For those not in the know, what this study was looking at is they got a bunch of babies. I believe it was only 21 infants that they used yeah. in this study. Mm-hmm. And they were able to map and compare the nociceptive pathways in newborns, neo- neonates or infants? Infants. Infants. And um, and adults, oh, okay. and they were able to find an overlap in all the areas. I believe, except for two regions of yeah. the brain, and those two regions of the brain were involved with the emotional processing of yeah, the pain. The amygdala and the occipital frontal. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, 
emotional processing of the pain. And so what that tells us is exactly as Mike was saying, no susceptive pathways are there and active. I believe spinothalamic tract starts to develop at 26 weeks in gestation. So the ability to perceive pain occurs very, very early on. And uh, if you're going to go through a traumatic experience, then, hey, look, you've got the pathway there to feel it. Yeah, yeah, which is important. Evolutionarily, it's so much more important to be able to feel pain than it is to be able to calm yourself down because that's what's going to keep you alive. It's the same as that's why little babies cry and they don't smile at you because crying is evolutionarily more, you know, more advantageous than it is to just lie there and go, no, I'm fine. Don't worry. I'll, I'll, I'll have (laughs) exactly. Well, the the parents are busy going, oh, he's so cute. Look, he's smiling. I'm trying to be nice. (laughs) (laughs) Why aren't you listening to my smile? <laughs> exactly. Give me the give me the assets. <laughs> That's it. So I think so my, yes. I was Go gonna for- say birth trauma. Birth yeah. trauma. So how does whereabouts do we come from with birth trauma? Whereabouts does this stem from? I believe you've got a couple of little pointers for yeah. everyone in regards to the background of birth trauma. Yeah, so so here's my unpopular opinion um, for for today is natural human birth is not great. Um, it's we are on an evolutionary track to somewhere, um, but we are in the middle somewhere. If you compare us to any of the other great apes, birth for humans is such a sticky situation from so many points of view. So the one is the size of the fetus. If you look at the size, not just of the fetal head, but the size of the fetus itself, and you map that against the size of a fetus of another great ape, humans are about twice the size of the fetus is about twice the size. If you look at the size of the head versus the bony ring of the pelvis, for a species like us, it already doesn't work. Because if you look at averages our head circumference is on average about 11 centimeters and the fully dilated cervix is 10. So you have to look at the changes that as humans we've already made. And that's like having fontanelles. It's having nice wide open sutures. <clears throat> and you've got to realize that, that this is not shared by any other animals that look like us. This is literally only us. And one of the biggest things that we have that none of the other animals that look like us have are rotational birth mechanics. With other great apes, what happens is because of the size of the head and because of the size of the shoulders versus the size of the mother, they can slip right down forwards. And what, and an interesting thing about that is when they're born, they're born forwards. So mom can squat down in a bush and can grab down, grab baby, clear the airways, and off you go. With humans, we're the only ones that have to rotate through because of the dimensions of the head, because we've got a longer A to P, and we have to rotate through, and then you rotate again, and then shoulders need to be birthed, so you have all of this rotational birth mechanic going on, and at the end of the day, we come out facing backwards, which is a testament to the fact that we almost can no longer do it in the bush, the same way as we can no longer eat raw meat, because we do not have the enzymes for it. It's one of those evolutionary changes that we've made that we go the size of what they call the snugness of fit is it's so snug now 
that now you start to uh, like birth trauma is linked to things like asyncretism, which is where you go, your head moves into the bony pelvis, but you have to have both parietal bones moving in at exactly the same sort of level. If they move one in over the other, it's asynclitic. And if you have even that, that is linked to birth trauma after. So our problems as humans giving birth, and I'm not even talking about forceps yet. I'm not talking about vacuum. I'm not talking about surgical intervention. I'm just talking about the how standard birth is so tricky for humans that we now end up in a position where the only reason that it works is we can, on the other side, we have the technology and the ability to be able to deal with those so our species carries on going. Without that, I'm very sure that we would have kind of plopped off a side. The place would have been run by well, big by now. Yeah. You know, what I find really interesting is I was looking at um, generational statistics. Uh, so generational statistics, we see that generation by generation, we are getting taller and bigger. Mm. Okay. It's just something that is happening. And you're talking about the snugness of fit. You know, we're getting into that the, the glove won't fit anymore kind of uh, scenario. Um, have you been keeping a track of some of the record-breaking babies that have been popping out recently? Yeah, massive, massive. And and I was just in Holland. So let me tell you, <laughs> crazy. And there's not there that yeah exactly they don't have little people over there. That's it's it's um some very what's the biggest the isn't it I believe it's Norway that has the tallest population on average or is it is it Holland? It's going to be a it's going to be a close one. It's going to be a close one. <laughs> Norway, Norwegian, but they are people are just we're we're getting bigger. People are getting yeah. bigger. There was a case of a kid who was born down here. Cracking the scales at seven, nearly seven and a half kilos. And that is, so that's, that's 16 pounder in the old money. Wow. Seven and a half kilos. Okay. Now, if you, he, he was two foot tall at birth. <laughs> I didn't know. You sit there and you go, that's holy mad. smokes. She's just popped out a nine month old. You know, that's, yeah. that's yeah. enormous. And when you consider birth trauma is more likely to occur in kids who are, what, above 3.5 kilos in size? Yeah. Four kilos true. in size, macrosomia. Yeah. So three and a half fish is around your average. Four kilos is where you're starting to get to the bigger babies. This kid's seven and a bit kilos. Yeah. Yeah. He's running into all sorts of trouble. Oh, and now we have to start looking at the fact that Birth is one thing, but now we have to look at, number one, what's his prenatal environment like? Because this chap is going to come out and all of his, he's going to have to wrap himself up so tight. We have to look at the fact that placentas are not designed to give that much, you know, that much nutrient. nutrition. You, you've mm. got to look at the fact that you're going to stress mom's body so much with that size of that size of fetus that her ability to oxygenate herself and the baby are going to be. So all of these pressures are already there even before you make this trek. Um, and I'm guessing mm. not a trek through the birth canal on that child, but a trek. And even if you look at a C-section, and this is something I read the other day that I'd never thought about. When you do a C-section, you go from, <clears throat> you don't take the child from this area of high pressure through uh, almost like a almost like an airlock of like a space movie where it's like low pressure and they come in and they change the pressure and they move in and then they find it. Right. What yeah. you end up with in a Caesar is high pressure, all of a sudden low pressure. And I've mm. never thought about 
what that would do and they were speculating it was a speculation paper uh, it was one of those one of those like uh, hypothesis papers and they were saying what does that do just to eardrums what does that do to the pressure yeah. you know just in the stomach nothing what is it oh mike yeah you know what that actually would explain you know one of the things that can happen is with a C-section delivery, we see an increased incidence of intracranial bleeding. Mm. That oh, rapid depressurization yeah. could cause that expansion of, art. oh, look at this. There We're just go. solving the world's problems there right here. There you go. There you yeah. go. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was an amazing, you know, sometimes you just get someone that goes like, Oh, but that's a straightforward thing that would be happening that no one's ever talked about. And I read this and I thought, oh my goodness, this is just, it's just, it's just crazy, you know, because, well, they, yeah, you know, you get these children that go, well, it wasn't traumatic, but they've ended up but like a hemorrhage. Issues. Go, yeah. Doesn't, doesn't make sense why they've ended up a hemorrhage. Here lies one of those reasons why I could. Oh, thank you, Mike. That's that, that's a, that's a writer. That's getting written down. So depressurization. <laughs> I've made it to Christian's notepad. This is this is my <laughs> new skill for these now. I need to make it to your notepad once or twice. Oh look, look, look! You've got a few notes going on through here. This is <laughs> this is good. Okay, depressurization during C-section. That actually would that would fit as a potential pathogenesis for me uh, mm. because you're exactly right. You know, you sit there and you kind of go, hmm. Some C-sections, yeah, fair enough. I, I often ask parents, okay, how big's your scar? And they go, huh? And you say, well, is it an eight centimeter scar or is it a 12 centimeter scar? And they go, why? And I go, well, eight centimeters is the size of a baby plus forceps, whereas 12 centimeters is the size of a baby plus an obstetrician's hands. Um, it's not well understood that a lot of C-section babies are born with forceps assistance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this then, this depressurization hypothesis, that would then fit that, that scenario in which, well, how does it explain, how does it occur in the babies who come out really well? Yeah. You know, but this this would then fit that particular. Uh, well, I suppose, I mean, you'd have, you'd have interesting ones. You'd have ones where waters had broken or not. So you've got membrane rupture or not. Um, so that would potentially change. True. You could have maybe, you know, um, the fact that there were contractions or there weren't contractions and then there was a C-section. So I think yeah. there's so many mitigators. There are variables. Around it. Yeah. It'd be interesting. And I think I'm going to start looking at that now with the babies in practice when I see the C-section babies to try and get to try and judge that what kind of things did they have happened beforehand. And then because I have been doing it a little bit with microbiome. Because if you get the C-section oh, yeah. babies, I want to know the ones where the membranes ruptured and the ones where they didn't and see what I'm getting in terms of colors of poos, in terms of, you know, reactions to probiotics and that kind of thing, because either they've seeded or they haven't. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, look at that, but I think I'm going to add this in, actually. <laughs> oh, see, look at that. Come join a podcast and yeah. join us on our learning on our learning journey. <laughs> exactly, it's so it's so lovely. It's the best thing you know, ever. We're getting up early for. <laughs> exactly, I love it when you. I love that learning, you know. And when you when you walk away from something, and you kind of go, "Oh, that that's yeah. a perla." Yeah. Something that's now just sitting in the back of my brain, kind of going, "Yes, how can we yeah. process that?" 
I mean, you, you'll know as well as me that, uh, you know, you can go to like a two-day seminar and you walk away with one thing like that. And you're like, fair enough. Fair totally. Enough. Fair enough. Totally. If I walk away with a clinical pearl, I'm like, you know what? That's 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 good for me. Yeah. And you know, that's what you're after. That's what you're after. Oh, I don't know where to go from there. Geez, I'm like, okay, well, yeah. podcast done. Thanks very much. <laughs> so. So we know that there are the big nasties that are out there, but I think, yeah. you know, we need to, we, we need to also, before we get into any of those big nasties, just talk about in terms of like spinally, what, what we might be looking at in terms of if you get a baby that's coming and the mom says, oh, birth was, you know, it was a little hectic um, and you come in, yeah. where are your go-tos? What are the things that you want to look at? Well, the first thing we have to understand is the differences that are occurring in the birthing processes, okay? So very typically I find, and I think this is supported with a lot of literature, the minute there's an intervention involved, your risk of birth trauma starts to increase substantially, okay? Now, we say birth trauma, okay? We're still not stating like a medical emergency state level of trauma. We're talking about something has happened, yeah. okay? Now, that something may be a simple, basic musculoskeletal sprain strain automobile, okay? So what we're looking at is we're seeing a change from a human spine, which is brilliantly designed. You know about sprain strains in automobiles, right? I've never heard it. Never. Oh, gosh. Sorry. Carry on. That's, That's all right. I'll, I'll wait for you to write, write that one down as well. Thank there you, you. go. Yeah. We're, we're writing down, you see, I feel this is a little bit topsy-turvy here. So not topsy-turvy. Here, I've got depressurization using C-section. You've gotten sprain strains and, auto, and aeroplanes, yeah. automobiles. Um, where was I going? Jeepers, Mike. Yes. Okay. okay. Change in, yeah. change in um, force. All hmm. right. So the main force that we're involved with is a compressive force. Okay. Hmm. So that's the force. A woman's uterus contracts and out comes Bob. When we start to intervene, we start to provide a tractional force that's going to be going through that system. Okay. Now, when you've got a system that's designed to withstand compression, that means it's not going to be the greatest when it comes to withstanding distraction or tractional force. Okay. Um, the shoulder's the widest point. That's the bit that's going to get stuck. Okay. So the area that we're going to see the major issues occurring is typically going to be between those two regions. Yeah. Um, with the shape, the way that uh, the neonatal spine is developing, we understand the fulcrum of movement occurs much higher up in the cervical spine in an infant compared to, say, an adult. And if I've got a region of hyper, not well, relative hypermobility at the upper cervical spine, that's going to be my go-to. Yeah. Okay. Because which bit's going to give up first? The bit that moves the most or the bit that's got a little bit of rigidity behind it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I am straight looking at that upper cervical spine. Um, what we also have to keep in mind then is um, different tissues also have different elastic properties. Yeah. Okay. So if we've got uh, okay, muscle stretches, ligaments, got a bit of stretch to it, dural systems, they tend to have a little bit less stretch yeah. involved. They're much more, much firmer. And then you get to the spinal cord itself, and that's, that's lost a significant amount of elasticity as well. Okay. So then we have to we have to consider, okay, whereabouts are the dural attachments? 
Mm-hmm. Okay? Because if that, that's the anchoring point of the, the tether, if you will, um, that's, that's going to be the other areas where I'd expect to see issues. Okay, so we're looking at dural attachments. That's intracranial stuff. We're occipital. Yeah. We're a C2. And then it goes right the way down to good old phylum terminale. Yep. Uh, the bit that anchors. The, so I love the phylum terminale. It's the bit that stops your brain from coming out your nose when you sneeze. Yes. <laughs> it, it's anchored to the tail. That's the and, way. Um, so, yeah, so we can see. Yeah, so you're going S2 right up to C2, and that's your... Uh, and then also... Oh, jeez, why limit yourself at S2? Where's your coccyx? Right down the very tip. True enough. And then you've got your little dural sheaths that hang out Correct. at every at every level as well. So there's a lot to check with those. There's a lot to... And this is the new ones, right? So if you go into the textbook, they'll talk to you about sciura, and they'll talk to you about, you know, there's a there, there's cervical, there, there's a spinal cord injury without any radiographic uh, findings. So the, the right. idea being that the spinal canal is super stretchy because there's uh, elasticness around the capsules and we don't have a lot of muscle tension. So that can stretch a lot, but the but the during the spinal cord don't stretch that much. So then you end up, the neck looks fine, but you've actually got a, a a cord injury and that's what gets played all over the place now we're saying right let's nuance that and look to the fact that we you haven't injured it but you've stretched it and you've You've stretched it you strained it and it was not meant for a strain it was meant to be able to compress because everything else was meant to compress it's not designed to do that and we can see these little ones when they come out because they live in extension they live in trying to connect the 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 occiputs back down to their bum they're like oh if i could just take the pressure off that would just be great and we know that they're supposed to live in flexion so that's another key thing for me is if i get a little one that comes in and they're in this extension all the time that's that's a key place i'm going oh mike 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 <laughs> it is one of my <laughs> okay unpopular opinion coming from me now yeah i I, this is one of my bugbears down here. I get, how many times do you get a patient coming through and you ask the question, tell me, does your child get described as having a strong neck? You know, you've got a newborn coming through and they go, yes, you know, the health nurse said it was such a strong neck at two weeks of age. He's sitting there with his head up, no issues. And I go, that's great. So he's been doing resistance training in utero, has he? You know, he's been sitting there just doing his head extensions while bobbling around in your amniotic fluid. That's that's wonderful. And the minute you say that, the parents kind of go, hang on a sec. Why does he have a strong neck when he's been sitting there in a beautiful flex state with, you know, minimal gravity influence? Yeah, because we're in a fluid-based environment. So yeah. why does he have a strong neck? Yeah. And yeah. guarding. That's the easiest way I describe it. I say, mm-hmm. uh, well, look, you know, when you hurt your shoulder, what do you do? You hold it up, right? When you've when you've busted your ankle, you tense it up. You avoid putting pressure on it. So could this neck extension, it's I don't like looking down. So I'm gonna look up. Yeah. Yeah. It's a simple, it's a simple mechanic, me- mechanic, mechanic. But um it, yeah, it is It is dead set, one of my bugbears, when I see these kids who have been born in this manner, yeah. and or not born in this manner, but they've been birthed and they've been told that, you know, they've just got a strong neck. Yeah, oh, it does. 
See, this is one of those things. It's made its way into the zeitgeist of new parenting that a strong neck is like is a good neck. Is this is what we need? We we need a strong neck, and it makes that's sense right on the surface because the head's a massive football and the neck's like tiny. And then the problem is we all know or protect the head, protect the head because the neck's not strong yet. So the faster we get the neck strong, the faster we go. Oh, okay, my child has made it through that portion and the thing is i spend so much time saying like even when we get them into tummy time going guys it's not the neck i don't want the neck to be strong i want the shoulder complex to be strong so that the neck can move by itself that's what i'm looking Mm. for i want an ability because necks are supposed to be mobile yes they're supposed to develop strength and they will develop strength and they'll get there but initially they're not supposed to be strong because a lot of stuff has to happen you can't be strong. And then also the difference between strong and hypertonic is another thing to be able to explain. Like, like the difference between hypotonic and weakness is not the same. Hypertonicness and strength is not the same. And it's to try mm-hmm. and get that nuance through to the parents again. Yeah, I it, it, it can be a real struggle. And you know what the other struggle is as well, is you have to explain to your parents, well, not your parents, explain to your patients, that when you treat them, there is a chance that their neck will return to the state of normality. Yeah. Okay. And what is normality? It's no longer a strong neck. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. actually an age-appropriate neck. Yeah. Okay. So clinical tidbit there is if you're going to give a treatment and you're you've got a child with a hypertonic neck that you believe is due to like that cervical spine uh, issue. Uh, when you treat it, you would expect it to improve to its function to where it's meant to be, that age-appropriate response. And you know what? That may be a foppy head. Head control doesn't develop until what? Three months of age? Three months. Yeah. Yeah. It's only- That's around it's, three months. I always remember, it's always sits in my head that the, the 10 weeks is the pull to sit test where you want them to be straight on. In so line. Like, correct. Yeah. And I always remember it because I'm stupid and I need stuff to remember. So I always remember it kind of like this where my head is the zero and my arm is the one. So I remember it like 10 weeks and it doesn't help if you're listening to this. Oh, okay. I, I get you. I get you. Yeah. I remember it. And then it's only at the three months that as you pull them up, you want the head to come forward. and snid- yeah. Oh, yes. And you know what? There's even a nuance to that. You know, we don't want to see a chin jut coming forward. Yes. We want to see a chin exactly. tuck. Because why? Because we need deep flexors to be working. Correct. Oh, look at this. Extensions. Where have you been for the last three months, Mike? This is great. Know. Look at Hey, look, you and me both. I've been cold. I've just thawed out. (laughs) (laughs) No. So that's going to look at hypertonic babies. So we see hypertonic babies coming through with with a lot of things that I believe chiropractic can have a really positive impact on. I shouldn't say chiropractic, manual therapy. You know, we see a lot of cervical spine issues, even tailbone issues coming through with that real neck extension posturing kind of going on and, and and i love the fact that you brought up that rotational component rotation you in, you include a bit of rotation into an extended situation that prolonged positioning with our head in extension and rotation what does that lead into oh uh, yeah that's that's kiss one good old plagiocephaly yeah <clears throat> that's it so we've got yeah. we've got risk factors for developing other situations or other or other conditions as well mm. so going from the hypertonic side of things 
this is where the hypotonic, this is why I find the hypotonic is a little bit more um, fraught yeah. with not necessarily danger, but you've got to be like, ooh, okay, on my toes this here. Is where on my notes, uh, on my, my noting system, it allows italics. This is where oh, things yes. into italics. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. Hypotonic is that one where you kind of go, let's pay attention to what's going on, okay? Because a hypotonic newborn, we're looking more likely at a neurological insult, all right? Now, that neuro insult, it could be like the squora, like we were talking about before. It could be the brain bleeds, mm -hmm. all right? Now, don't, don't, don't have a bad thing. You know, sometimes you get... 7% of the population will have a brain bleed at birth. Yeah. Okay. That Let me rephrase that because that came out poorly. <laughs> if you take a chunk of babies uh, and you that MRI them. <laughs> if you take a chunk of babies, this is my improvement. Take a chunk. I'm going to take, yeah, exactly, I'll take this chunk of the baby. <laughs> no, that wasn't improved at all. Okay. <laughs> let go. me see. Let's take a cohort Ooh. of children. No, oh, oh, a cohort of newborns Oof. and MRI individually one at a time. These newborns, you don't just shove them all into an MRI. <laughs> You'll find that seven odd percent, seven odd percent will have um, bleeding present on their brain. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. The minute we start to introduce something else, um, we're looking at much higher amounts. I believe there was there was a great study. Ah, oh, when did it come out? 2020, published in Frontiers yeah. of Neurology. Frontiers of Neurology. It was a 2020 paper. I can't remember the guy's name. And um, it was it was saying it's nearly a five times higher risk ratio of uh, brain bleeding when you include um, vacuum extraction. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, vacuum extraction. Um, when you do that, oh, now there was another really funky, funky little one here. When you start to have vacuum extraction that starts to go belong beyond uh, 15 minutes, mm -hmm. okay, or they've had to attempt it more than twice, twice or more, sorry, twice or more, yeah. that suddenly jumps up to nearly 10 times higher risk of brain bleeds. Wow. All right. 10 times higher, okay? And if you're looking at a, oh, what's the statistic? Statistic is 2.9 per 100,000 infants will have a brain bleed present. So 10 times higher, 29. Okay. That's, we're getting into some significant territory here. And, and the problem is we now marry that with Gupta around 2021 talking about this forceps usage has kind of stayed the same, but vacuum usage in the vacuum. Increased by like 70%. And the thing is, yeah, I wonder why seen the scalp issues hand in hand with these two. I have no idea why. And the, and, and the problem is you've got a lot more connection to things like hypoxic ischemic events. You've got a lot more thing like seizures. You've got a lot more of those problems coming through because now not only are you creating traction, but you're creating this, like cephalic traction you're creating this yeah. traction over these membranes that are so tiny and so delicate and i mean if you've ever had a look at what it looks like when one of those kiwis or, or, or vacuums are attached and the actual pull it's quite something 
Yeah, you don't want to know. I, I there was a I, I wrote a great paper again. I'm not going to be able to quote this one, but it's it's talking about the difference between force of delivery and vacuum delivery. Mm-hmm. And force of you're more likely to end up with the superficial injuries, and it makes sense, you know, facial nerve palsies, yeah. um, bleeding and bruising on the face. Whereas when you include when you when you jump to the vacuum, as you say, deep neurostructures get involved. Yeah. Okay. The do you, do, you, do you know the stats? So uh, Pedersen published a paper in 20, mm-hmm. oh gosh, 2014, 2018, yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. The forces recorded with vacuum extraction delivery. Oh. I'm fairly certain it's vacuum extraction. Do you want to know? Yeah, tell me. Yeah. So they recorded um, a scenario in which they got a bunch of obstetricians to perform the delivery right and they did the delivery and then they did another one where they uh, recorded the measure involved in a scenario okay so they did the delivery and they said how much force did you do in that delivery and they go oh okay i did x and then they did another one with the scenario where they reproduced that same delivery and they asked how much force did you do and they said oh same as before x x amount they were actually off by a factor of four so they did four x the um, amount of force with their actual deliveries itself. And they did this, I believe on average, there was, it was about 180 to 200 newtons of force that were involved. Hang on, I could probably pull, uh, yeah, average, there you go. 225 newtons of force was the average uh, amount of force being involved with a vacuum extraction with a peak, a peak force recorded. So one particular Mm -hmm. scenario a peak force of 452 newtons. Oh my God. Okay. Now, to put that into context, I love context. Yeah. Dangle a baby upside, don't dangle a baby upside down. Imagine having a baby dangled upside down yeah. with 40 kilograms tied to its neck. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Okay. Quite a visual. So my my daughter is in year seven and she probably weighs about 30 kilos you know soaking wet and i pick her up and i'm like, oh geez okay kid you've got some heft this is you're, you're growing and um that's still yeah. less than that yeah. amount of force yeah. and let's you know, also contextualize the fact that it's force in the wrong direction you're not even talking about yeah. in the direction that it's designed to take you're talking about force in the other direction, which is yeah, just, it's just incredible. That's yeah, that's and incredible. I must go. I must check that paper because I really need those stats. It is here. We go. It is. Um, oh gosh, I was wrong on all the dates. It was 2015. Yeah, traction force during vacuum extraction. Uh, Pettersson in the British Journal of OG Obstetric Obstetric Gynecology in 2015. Because so I was, it was um, yeah. There's a, there, there was another one that looked at the difference between forceps and that, and and forceps was less, and I believe forceps somewhere around 112 or 100 and something, and then vacuum going into the 200. So I think there lies our other problem, uh, you know, not just where it attaches and what it does, but the fact that the force that it can generate is so much bigger, it's which is much probably why it gets used more because in and I'm speculating it's footballing, but when you start to get to those 
something is going wrong and you're trying to move the baby out very fast and you want to get them out of that that sort of life threatening correct as fast as possible so that might be a reason that they go this is much better and it is much better at that particular thing however we now need to yeah. the sequelae after that of what's happening that's right and i actually think it's very important to understand here we need to take a take this from the parents perspective as well you know i remember when my when my when my daughter was being born so my daughter's my firstborn um, she was in a breech position, one leg up, one leg down. And um, the obstetrician came up and he said, look, Christian, first birth, uh, Bub's in the most awkward breech position that we could do. Um, we could attempt a vaginal delivery or we could go with a C-section. Now, both of them have their risks, but at this point in time, the vaginal delivery we feel would have a greater risk to something happening to both your wife and your child. And I went, well, that's a no-brainer. Just, you know, come out the sunroof. That's easy. Okay. Parents don't always have the luxury of saying, well, you know, it's up to 452 newtons of force are going to come through with that vacuum extraction. Let's just not do that. Oh, what do you mean my baby's not going to survive? You know, it's it can be a very tricky scenario that parents can be put in. And uh, we need to understand that the scenarios that they're in it may be because of a reason, okay? yeah. but our purpose is to help get them past yeah. what happened. I think this is, this is the other thing that is so important. I mean, we're throwing figures around and we're talking about stuff, but it's so important to bring up the fact that that context is there because these kind of figures are not for you then to take into your practice and go, well, do you know that what you did was this and that and the next thing? It's all about for us to have a wider scope of understanding of what has happened to this child and then we filter that through into our treatment and if it can be passed on it can be but in you know caring ways um and i think it's just important to kind of and you really thank you for bringing that up because it's so so important that yeah these things aren't happening i mean we're sitting looking at wonderful papers and books and we have the luxury of sitting in our lovely offices and going well i mean that's not something you should do the end of the days when you're in that position i mean as you said that i was going i'm doing the same thing whatever i'm not putting people at risk so i you know we get it and i think we've got to be sensitive to that yeah yeah and that sensitive is the is the completely the correct word there we just need to be sensitive to the patients in front of us you know what if they've had a traumatic delivery they've yeah. gone through trauma as well yeah yeah, very much very much yeah 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 i always my, my key line is getting one person out of another person is, is not easy for either person it's you know no. it's, it's a tough tough thing to do and the thing is it happens every day so everyone goes oh it's easy i mean yeah, it's something that happens every day but it ain't easy you know from all that i and i mean i stand from the position of of only ha of having witnessed two um, and never having done one, you know, so it's, uh, I get it, I get, I'm removed from it, but it's just what you see um, and 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 how you need to sort of approach. Mm, yeah, very much so. So let's then think about this one. So if we've had um, this kind of delivery going on there and we're seeing this deep neural trauma, okay, yeah, chances are we're going to be looking at potentially a brain bleed. Okay. But it's not just the deep neuro stuff that's going to be happening. Why did they need to use that much force in the first place? Yeah. Okay. Biggest reason something got stuck. Mm -hmm. Okay. Big babies. We talked about it before shoulder. So four kilos and above yeah. uh, shoulder dystocia. 
okay? Their shoulders get stuck, okay? If I've got broad shoulders and I keep on getting tugged on, what's eventually going to give? Yeah. See you yeah. later, SCM. Yeah. See you later, collarbone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that okay. whole that whole brachial plexus. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And then that leads into, so what do we see with um, the traumas? We see soft tissue injuries. We see neural, um, the, the whatchamacallums, brachial plexus injuries, as you say, exactly. Um, these- Phrenic nerve um, injuries can be jumped in there as well from that traction. Oh, I love phrenic nerve injuries. So clinical pearl, what's, mm -hmm. what's, what's the indicator for a phrenic nerve injury that you're seeing? If you're seeing phrenic nerve, yeah. you're likely going to see that herbs palsy stuff going on yeah, yeah. in the first place because there's going to be brachial plexus stuff going through. Yeah, that'll happen first. But yeah. what, do we use, what do we use phrenic nerve for? Diaphragm, breathing. Diaphragm, breathing. Yeah. So you may see a kid who has asymmetric breathing. That's it. That's Mike's it. writing it down again, so I'm going to take a pause. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretending he's literate. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. I'm actually not writing things down. It's it's, it's just uh, scribbles on the piece of paper. Is that is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I just finished the nose of my skin. You do. That's what's happening at the moment. Ah, very good, very good. Yeah. So when we look at when we look at um this, there was a great paper that came out. Uh, what what year did Akengaya? Akengaya's was 2014. I want to say 2014, 2016. There you go. There's a great paper called Birth Injuries in Neonates. And it was published in Pediatrics in Review in 2016. It, it's another one of my faves. I love reading this one and kind of just reminding myself of the um, injuries that can can and do occur. Yeah. You know, they were talking about like there's a great little section on nerve injuries, nerve injuries. So that's it's up to 1% of births will experience a nerve injury. Yeah. Brachial plexus, 0.5 to 2.5 per 1,000 births. You know, this is this is substantial. Yeah, it gives you a nice idea. I had one that I actually popped down here because I found I found it quite interesting because it was UK stats, um, which was quite interesting because this actually gives you an idea. This was in 2020. This is Rome. It's from uh, Neonatal Birth Fractures, a retrospective tertiary maternity hospital review. So it looked at almost 90,000 babies, 90,000 live births, nice. and 66 sustained a fracture during delivery. So that's kind of the level that you're looking at 46 of those were clavicle 13 were humerus four were skull one femoral which is just the weirdest fracture to get uh one oh, wow. tibial yeah and then five of them that had the clavicle or the humeral fracture ended up with an herbs palsy 65 fractures were in singletons um mm -hmm. and 25 fractures were diagnosed after discharge so those are your clavicle guys that you start to pick up later yeah. and you did some of the non-linear brain ones uh skull ones and then binary logistic regression analysis uh showed significant association between fracture and birth weight which is not a major surprise but it's just an interesting one to go how often are you going to be seeing those big red flag ones those ones where it goes past italic to like italic bold underline you know, little red section of your notes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not as, <clears throat> not as frequently, not as free. Mm. What was the name of that paper, Mike? That sounds like quite an interesting read. It's a nice one. Yeah. It was, and it was UK based. So it piqued my interest. It's called Neonatal Birth Fractures. A retrospective. Neonatal... A retrospective yeah. tertiary maternity hospital review. 
Yeah, whereabouts was that one published? I'm not going to be able to tell you. I'm not. Oh, that's fair enough. Google sure. is my friend. Google Scholar is a better friend. I like Ooh, that. Yes. Yeah, Google Scholar is nice. Yeah. Excuse yeah. us. <laughs> that's it. What do you mean we're in the middle of a live podcast? No, no, no we can, we can... <laughs> take uh, a moment to quickly. It's obstetric gynecology. Ah, oh, there you go. I should have guessed it was going to be something along those lines. Yeah. Farmers Weekly. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Uh yeah. Um, yeah. So what were we talking about there? So yeah, all the the big stuff. So shoulder dystocias, your phrenic nerves, they they take time to heal. We yeah. can have an impact on those ones, you know. I, I love one of my favorite terms. Have we talked about my favorite terms? I think we have mechanotransduction. Best. Love it. Love it. Mechan How good is mechanotransduction? Now, unfortunately, nerve damage takes a long time to recover. You know, it's just a simple fact. You know, axonal regrowth is what about a millimeter a day? Yeah, it takes forever. Yeah, and how many millimeters do we have between our fingers to our brains and spinal cord? So if we evolve at the spinal cord down to our fingertip, and it's about yeah. thirty centimeters, so what three hundred millimeters? So it's about three hundred days yeah. to reconnect that axon. Yeah. And I believe they give it. It's what about a six month window? If you're not seeing a substantial improvement after six months, it's like oh, it's not going to be good. Yeah, because it's either it takes that long and it's either gonna happen or it ain't gonna happen. And it's yeah. it's like uh, it's like being a musician and looking at a cable. I always look at it that way. I look at a cable that that, that stops working and I think it could be anywhere. It could literally <laughs> be anywhere along this is not along even that cable points and opening it up because it could be anywhere. Yeah. Mm. Actually, that's a good analogy. Yeah. yeah. You just have to get new cables going on i like that exactly the problem is then i just chuck the cable and i go to the guitar store buy myself a new cable so that's not gonna that's where the analogy wow. ends yeah <laughs> yeah you can't really go to the baby store and just buy a new baby can yeah. you and the other... your baby found its twin so that was pretty nice you could yeah it did it did it was so cool actually because travis yeah when i went to holland i found i found travis's twin and i've never seen a baby like him yeah He's, he's starting to develop. He's getting a little palsy to the way. Oh, <laughs> yes, I can see. Yeah. He's That's all right. Just a, I, I, I suspect there's probably just a nice little occipital restriction going on there. You know, give that one a nice little release through there. It'll be he's, good as gold. I, I realize that this is no good on, a, on an audio podcast, but they made him with a plagio. Wow. Look at yeah. that. They see, made I him told with you. Some, yeah. Occipital. He's occipital. A, yeah. That's that's actually really useful for teaching purposes, though. I like that. It's been 17 years. I still haven't fixed it. <laughs> Have you considered maybe you're treating the wrong thing? No. So, <laughs> all right. So where have we gone? So we've gone, okay, brain bleeds. We've gone, okay, SCM ruptures. Yeah, you can tear the SCM, you know. SCM, what does it end up with? You get your SCM tumors then. Yeah. All right. That's where you end up. Now, We've got to be careful. You don't tell patients that they've got a tumor, okay? Yeah. Because it's not a tumor. You've yeah. got to, sorry. That was my worst Arnold impersonation I've I ever done. Was, sorry, I'm going to do that again. Go for it. That was not a good Arnold impersonation. Oh, I need to do a better one, all right? It is not a tumor. <laughs> to the chopper. <laughs> get to, don't get to the chopper. That's how they fix it. They cut it. <laughs> 
Don't cut it. Stretch it. <laughs> don't stretch it too far because then it can rupture again. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. I can't compete. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> you know that there are there are certain voices that I love imitating. Yeah. This is this is okay. Welcome to Tangent Land. Okay, yeah. so Arnold Schwarzenegger is always going to be one of them. Yeah, the other one is my process. Yes. Look at this, huh? Well, that's well, the room. Wow. Gotta love. I I consider it a superpower being able to say anything in a golem voice. Yeah. And um, oh, what was the other one? Is um have you yeah, of course you've got Elmo over in Sesame Street, yeah, yeah. don't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Elmo loves everybody. What? <laughs> yes. Some kind of witchcraft going on here. <laughs> That's it. So today we're going to be talking about birth trauma. Wow. That makes everyone very sad. The, yeah, it, the, it is traumatic, <laughs> and I'm getting sad. Now, uh, well, <laughs> off that tangent, off that yeah. tangent, okay, SCM, SCM tears, mm. okay, soft tissue injuries. Yeah. But I'll tell you one aspect that people often neglect. So we think about the head. We think about the SCMs. We think about the clavicles, the shoulders. What's happening internally, Mike? Yeah, yeah. There's there's a couple of things that are that are really interesting. And, and if you if if you look at the rib cage and how it doesn't provide a lot of protection, and you look at how big those organs are and how much space everything's taking up, contusion of internal organs is a big thing to think about. Yeah, this is something. And you know what's the thing that I think about when I'm talking about a contusion of the internal organs, okay, so if I've got something that's, okay, I hit my hand, my hand swells up, my hand becomes less functional, Yeah. okay? You go for a run, you semi-roll your ankle, your ankle becomes less functional. Yeah. What happens to a kid's gut? Okay. Yeah. Mm. Could this be, now, they've even got a wonderful term for it, dyskesia. I believe it's one of your favorite terms. That's my favorite. It, what the heck is dyskesia? Okay, and I see it all the time. And dyskesia is this wonderful mismatch between the gut pressure being created and the pelvic floor working in concert with those two. And what you end up with is you create this gut pressure that pushes and the pelvic floor that tightens. And it's this, and, and it's what ends up happening is this big pressure that ends up getting built inside the stomach. And that internal pressure starts to force fluid all the way back up again. So really... Dyskesia for me, it's a functional gastrointestinal disorder. Um, and it, a lot of the time gets mixed up with constipation. It's not constipation because it just looks like they're trying to push. And in fact, the thing about dyskesia is it's not linked to any sort of defecation. Uh, it's not linked to getting gas out. It's not linked to any of that. It's just linked to the pressure that gets increased into the child. And you can imagine this increased intra-abdominal pressure just does horrendous things to the functionality of the core it does all sorts of things so uh, do you see where i'm going here though mike yeah no yeah what happens if i've got something externally that's now increased that pressure yeah could this be a driving factor as to why we might see dyskesia in some infants absolutely without a doubt without a doubt it it's 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 got to be in like a top contention for a hypothesis for that it definitely does yeah, because so you've got... it, and the baby is now having to try and 
organize itself against what's happening in its environment. And to do that, it needs to create this pressure to be able to. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's, yeah. So we can see these intra-abdominal uh, injuries occurring. Okay. Yeah. Again, not going to the medical serious side of things where we're looking at like splenic rupture or, yeah, or yeah. Um, hepatic yeah. rupture or anything along those lines. But if you've got guts that have swollen in response to a trauma to it, yeah, there's a very good chance we could have a follow-on effect later on. Yeah. Uh, this is this is something I really, we are so fortunate as chiropractors and manual therapists, okay? Because we get to work in that gray zone, okay? Yeah. And it means that we can have an impact on their development. I, I love that. What's that term they use for ASD kids these days? Neurodivergent. Yeah, I love yeah. that we can we can focus on one of those divergent points. Mm. Okay? If we're able to work on a divergent point and stop it from going path A and instead take path B, exactly. you yeah. know, this, this is, that's, that becomes huge for a kid's long-term outcomes. You know, there are so many studies coming through now. Okay. So birth trauma, they're unhappy. Um, they're crying all the time, crying all the time is associated with neurodevelopmental outcomes. We're looking at long-term studies seeing impact on academic performance, IQ, what a nine point lower IQ on average in kids that yeah. cry greater than, Oh, what's the stat? It's like three hours. It's that Wessels criteria. Yeah, yeah it's and it's if it happens over five months. <clears throat> yeah. You get that yeah. over five months. Yeah. So if <clears throat> we're able to have that wonderful input and change that directed trajectory, yeah. oh, it's magical. I, I think this is this is what this is one of those things that makes working in this profession just so damn yeah. rewarding. It's true. You know? We um at our office back in back in Melbourne, one of our I've got a photo at the back there, and our motto is because we want to bring out their best. Oh, I love it. You know? Love it. Yeah, I love it too. I sit there love and it. I go, that's, that's exactly yeah, exactly right. <clears throat> so Mike, on that, on that wonderful tone there, I, I think it's it's a great time to say birth traumas happen. Yeah. Okay. We need to recognize the different nuances that can occur oh excuse me that can occur within specific birth traumas we need to understand what's going on in a parent's um reality at that stage yeah. and realize that there are certain things that we may be able to help prod along you know yeah. we're helping mechanotransduction we might help to calm a bit of gut torsion or twisting or dural whatever may be going on and um, this then helps to improve outcomes long term. Yeah, I I love that, and I think um, my thinking on that, and you really sort of crystallize that for me now. My thinking on that has always been that birth trauma, and if it's not ending up in something big and you know big and red flaggy, it's friction. It's a friction that this child now has to experience on its way to trying to get to its optimum. You know, it's because it, because we know that the, the the function is going to is going to inform the structure as the child grows, and if there's friction 
on that way, you start to get that divergence. So I'm not saying I'm trying to fix brain bleeds. I'm not saying I'm trying to, you know, uh, fix fractures and, and crazy stuff like that. What I'm saying is not all of that is going to create friction. And if I can take the rest of the friction away from that child and I can allow a pathway for them to grow as well as they can through all of that, because you can't take it away. And then, you know, after that happens, then they have a fall off a couch. And then they do their knee in football. Or, you know, it's always happening. But the guiding line for me is always take as much friction as I can away from the situation and allow them just to keep developing as well as they can. Perfect. What a oh, I, I missed this, Mike. What a what a me great too. podcast. Me too. What have oh. we been doing? <laughs> I don't know. You've been gallivanting all over I want, Europe. I've been overseas in Asia. It's, I um, want to apologize to us. Yeah, that's <laughs> Sorry, it. Sorry, us. <laughs> Very much so. We have been. Oh. Yeah, you've been. You you you've been teaching all over the place. You, I saw you at some very fancy, uh, some very fancy airports. Oh, geez, yes. I I actually managed to fall asleep at Singapore. Uh, <laughs> that was that was delightful. Waiting for my one a.m. flight from Singapore back to Brisbane. Wow. Fell asleep at the lounge, and um, you know it's a it's. It leaves at 12.55 a.m. And I've woken up and it's 12.35. And I've gone, I should probably start going towards the gate. And sure enough, there's a great big thing. Final call. I'm like, well, I'm going to start running towards the gate now. This was delightful. I was in the final 15 of people boarding. So that was, whew, okay, we made it. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Well, listen, I'm glad to be back doing this. Um, it, as always, I mean, I think we always walk out of these things learning a lot. So I'm hoping that you listening to this are doing exactly the same thing. Uh, thank you for having us back in your lounge, in your car, in your ears, or wherever we are with you. Maybe we're at the gym. I mean, that'd be great because at least I'm getting to the gym, I feel, uh, via proxy, via you, <laughs> listening to me on the, on the treadmill, perhaps. Uh, but either way, yeah, uh, look forward to a lot more stuff. Remember, you can always get a hold of us, 2P Kairos, at gmail.com, and you can tell us what you'd like us to cover. Uh, otherwise, we just start covering the stuff we like to cover. Sounds fantastic. Mark, it's been a pleasure. Lovely. Thank you very much. And we will see you soon. <laughs>